0: Welcome to Offstage with Jordan Baylor, where you'll discover the stories behind the movers and shakers in the entertainment and business world. Now here's your host, Jordan Baylor. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Offstage with Jordan Baylor. This is your humble host here, and today's guest is a prime example of why I do this show. His name is Bawa Gilkerney, and he's what I like to call a design philosopher. He has an Amazing podcast called Cognitive Design, uh, which you should listen to after you listen to this episode. Bawa is twenty six. He's a very young man, and he's was hesitant to call himself a philosopher, but I think what what he lacks in youth, he makes up for with his depth of knowledge on a variety of topics. We did our interview, and we spoke for another hour after the interview commenced and he's one of those guys who listens as well as he speaks which i think is really refreshing because so many times in conversations we're trying to get our voice heard, our opinions stated and 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 we're trying to persuade the other person to see our side, envision our way, join the dark side as some people might say, you know, because some people feel feel or or, or they view arguments or not even arguments but conversations as a way to persuade you so it's nice to know that you can engage in a constructive conversation with a real life philosopher so without further ado i bring to you my interview which i really 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 enjoyed and i hope you learn a lot because i learned a ton here's the interview Hi, welcome to another episode of Offstage with Jordan Baylor. I have on the line Bava Gilkarni, host of the series Cognitive Snap, a scientific podcast which does a weekly exploration of philosophy, economics, all through the lens of design. Um, How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jordan. Thanks for having me. All right, so I like to start off every interview and I like to ask, who is Bava Gilkarni? Um. Good question, because I'm
1: right in the middle of soul searching. So you've caught me there. Um, But uh, I'm 26, uh, just turned 26. Um, I'm from India. um, And I am in Munich right now. Just finished up my master's in industrial design. And uh, now I'm looking to, you know, find myself, I guess.
0: Do you find yourself through design or do you find yourself through work?
1: I think I find myself through other people's work, and then when I look at, when I consume other people's creativity, you know, it triggers my creativity, and then that's when I realize that, that that's also me. Um, you know, I guess the the point of, of relatability is to let yourself, um, f- well, let someone find themselves in your work. and. Um, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that, but, uh, um... No,
0: no, no. I like that. I like that. You know, you, you, uh, that's a, that's a trippy concept. You, you kind of like when you, oh, wow. Cause I always wonder like, how can some people, like everybody can just like a piece of art and then some people on the outside would be like, that's a piece of crap. And then, you know, it's not a piece of crap, but like, you know, and I was just like, how can we, we not all just agree? Like, I don't know, like say something like the dark night, like, The Dark Knight is a great film, like, you know, whether you like comic books or not, like, it's just a great piece of film. So it's just like, I guess somebody saw the movie and then relatively to them, they just didn't like it because it showed them something about themselves, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) I never, I never heard that concept. And that's the thing, you know, um,
1: in the second episode um, of uh, my podcast, Cognitive Snap, um, without giving too much away, we talk about metrics and so the question um, we ask ourselves when when someone asks us, who are you or who is Bava, um, we tend to think in terms of metrics. My first sentence that I said is, I'm 26 years old, as if that's supposed to mean something. Um, um, I say, I've done two years of um, industrial design. I have um, 100 listeners on my podcast. And we sometimes just get caught up in the metrics. Um, and some these metrics help, and they're like heuristics, where they form the infrastructure of the way we perceive things in the world. But they're also like
0: prison bars. Sometimes <laughs> you can't see past. Yeah, because we're we're a slave to the to the metrics. Huh? We're, we we kind of measure ourselves like, oh, I have this many followers, so I'm worth this much. When yeah. it doesn't even mean anything. It's all meaningless. I mean, followers and things like that are kind of meaningless.
1: Well, that's true, but um, we also take um, a sort of you know, refuge in metrics because we think that we made them and we have control over them and we understand them. Um, and so even in meditation apps, you have uh, things like streaks. I mean, it's yeah. a meditation app. You, you're going to tell me I, I meditated for 15 minutes this week and that's supposed to motivate me? But, you know, the, st- the statistics help and we like it. And uh, so... Two Two sides to the statistics and metrics story, I guess.:
0: I love that man. I, I I listened to the show Cognitive Snap," and I liked it. I, I really liked it. Uh, for those who haven't given it a listen yet, do that next. Um, it's an NPR style show where you know he um, Bava is the host and he give, he jumps in and gives deep dive insights and and he does he digs deep on concepts and topics that interest him and have personally taught him. Um, What did you hope to accomplish with the launch of the show? Um,
1: I guess it was um, the reasons, I guess there are two main reasons. Um, The first is I was surrounded by um, so many designers who were doing just incredible stuff. Um, The the first guest of my uh, podcast, we studied together, um, and I saw her go through the um, various stages of her project and it's just fascinating and she was just one of so many other people and I wanted to give these people a platform uh, to tell the world uh, about their project and the kind of things that they were doing and I guess somewhat selfishly use that for, <laughs> for my uh, content creation needs um, and the second is I think um, I've been a huge fan of podcasts um, for a long time now Um you know, uh, my favorites being 99% Invisible and uh, Freakonomics, um, Radiolab, um, and these podcasts, they are just fantastic storytellers. And so mm-hmm. I guess I just wanted to, you know,
0: feel like Give I could do it, it too. Um, yeah, you definitely do do it. I, I liked it a lot. I was like, oh, yeah, wow, he's, I mean, he's a good host. I
1: I like it's basically imitation, you know. I'm at the I like thinking about it as um um the creative process has like four stages. I like to think of it um four i words that I like. The first is inspiration, where you're inspired by somebody's work and then you go, "Oh, I can do something like that too." And then you imitate, so you it's imitation, you try to do basically what they're doing, um, because that's all you know. And then um you realize that it doesn't really fit with the message that you're trying to um, to send out. And so you improvise. So there's an improvisation. And eventually, when you improvise enough, that leads to innovation, you know? Mm. Um, that's my four i thing really <laughs> kind of proud of it and i think i'm still in the imitation phase
0: you still like you're at the imitation stage yeah <laughs> and that, that's a that's a crazy concept I, I i like the four eyes it's very you know
1: scary. i was so sure that i stole it from someone uh that i've heard it somewhere and so i, I googled it last week quite fearfully because you don't want it to be someone else's you know yeah uh, definitely and i couldn't really find it and so I'm sort of tentatively, you know, staking claim, putting that flag.
0: Put the uh, flag down, man. I'm not Put sure. it down. Hold it. Yeah. I made that. That's my concept. <laughs> <laughs> and if you write a book on it, it's your concept. You know that, right? Like, if you just write like a ten-page book and you just give it away for free, that's like that's your concept. true.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so true, man. So, how yeah. did you like um, develop the show? Like. I know it, you're, you're breaking down large concepts um, all through the lens of, of design and, and UX and the user experience on the phone and internet and everything. How did you figure out how can I break these big concepts down into morsels on a weekly basis? What was How did you tackle that?
1: I think the first... Um thing that made it kind of easy was because I knew that um, each episode would be a project that one of my friends um, has done. And so I knew that it starts with a really personal story because they had personal stories. Ayla knew uh, in the first episode exactly why she worked with these waxworms because it was personal to her. And I knew that as soon as I found this personal thread, I could just pull on it and eventually... I could find this ball of thread that it leads to um, and hopefully, you know, unravel the knot. Um, And the thing is that a a topic or concept is only as big or as small as you make it. And so I think I'm just um, trying to, you know, cordon off little areas that I can digest. Um, The first episode was about speculative design, um, which is a funky little concept um, because it's about designing products and services for things that don't exist with technologies that don't exist right now to fulfill needs that don't exist. Um, But it all plays back into um, just the human condition, you know, what do we need now? And what will we need later? Um, And that kind of thing. And um, at the end of the day, even if, regardless of how big the topic is, if you can make it personal, if you can make it about one person, if you can make it about one small thing, um, the storytelling will pull the concept through. I think that's what I'm aiming for.
0: What interests you? I know it's a broad question, but mm-hmm. what, what what grabs your your uh, attention?
1: Um, I think there's a lot of um. Let's let's maybe stick to design. It, even in design, there's a lot of ideology, a lot of fundamentalism. If you look at um, Instagram designers, you know, designers who are popular. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, there's sometimes... Uh, they're, they're very successful in a particular way, uh, and that's good. Um, but what interests me sometimes is people saying slightly, well, things that are slightly off, uh, but they are, um, sure is true. And there's a lot of conviction in things they say. And when it doesn't really align with my worldview, that's what interests me. I'm like, why does it not align? And then that leads me to reevaluate. Um one of the things that happened in the first episode, I'm sorry, I keep referring back to that, but it's a good example, no, I think. No. Um, a lot of design is, you know, arbitrarily just user-centric design as if everything is, you know, um, central uh, with the human being in focus. Um, but there are lots of aspects of design where the human being isn't necessarily in focus, um, where the human being is just a stakeholder um, and there are stakeholders like you know the planet which is just as big a stakeholder as the human being um, and there are, there are uh, well basically things like you know designers saying design will save the world mm-hmm. um, and designers saying things um so making statements where if you just remove the design and you put any other profession, then that statement would still be true. You know? Like they're all just truisms. And they don't mean anything, but they pander to the designer community. And that just bother me bothers me to no end. And so those are the kind of things that I want to like deconstruct a little
0: bit. This episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Sock Season. I have a pair of their unisex essential star quality socks and man they are comfortable. They truly are. They, they, they come in like weird, funky, cool colors. And I'm not just saying this because they paid me. I'm saying it because I'm a big sock guy and I hate socks that fall apart after a few washes, or they're cheap, or they're they're tight around the toe or they hurt around the ankle. I've experienced a lot of different socks and a lot of these companies are cutting corners. I've gotten socks from H&M, different department stores. And quite frankly, I feel like I've gotten beaten a lot of times because I no longer wear the socks. And after a few washes, they either rip or they shrink or I lose a pair or I lose one of the socks. That the, Those two are on me. But sometimes they're warp and they just lose their shape. But the cool thing about sock season is Sock Season has a unique 30 day wash guarantee which covers socks bought within the first 30 days. Like if you buy them and they fall apart within the first 30 days they will replace them. No questions asked. Which is crazy but that's how much they believe in their socks. So go to www.sockseason.com n.com Use coupon code OFFSTAGE for 25% off your first order and tell them Jordan sent you because every day is sock season. I I guess I I understand it. I definitely see that in the um, entrepreneurial field, you know, like they have the they like kind of boosted up entrepreneurialism like it's sexy or something and like. You know, grind your grind, you know, I'll grind yeah. now so I hustle. can wrestle. hustle harder, uh, hustle a 10% today so I don't have to work tomorrow. All these like, like you said, truisms and they don't really mean anything and they don't teach you how to work smarter. You know, they don't like sometimes you can't make something happen just by working harder. Sometimes you have to go at it a different way. And, yeah, uh, that's just something like I I started learning when I started exploring, um, concepts and study, study concepts of like quantum physics and, and I'm not deep into it or nothing, but it's like Mm -hmm. very super surface and simple concepts, but like something like quantum leaps and jumping particles without the particles being in like a sequential order have really opened my mind to like the possibilities of life in a sense. Um, what were concepts that brought you into your field and, um, the study that you're working in and, and stuff that you're working on now?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think the first thing was um, when I was studying engineering. Um, I always had this feeling that, yeah, you know, there was there was this mentality of trying to make things faster and more efficient and um, faster. Well, you know, just have a car go fast. Um, and but that isn't all of engineering and all of design. Um, and so I wanted to think about why we're making something go faster, why we're making it go more efficient, um, why we're using the metrics that we're using, basically, question the metrics, um, embrace ambiguity as ideal. Um, this design agency, I don't know if you've heard of them, uh, but they say embrace ambiguity. And I think that's one of the things um, that really interests me, this topic of Straddling straddling this line between what we know and we, what we don't know and um just in more concretely um i think the field of behavioral economics and behavioral science really opened up a lot of doors in my mind about um how people and their choices influence all of the different industries that we've built up um because we're we're, we're Irrational people. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Human beings are irrational. Uh, (laughs) Excuse me. But what makes them so interesting is that human beings are predictably irrational Mm. uh, in that they're all irrational in more or less the same way. You could predict how um, the average human being is going to be irrational. Um, And the point um, of these biases and studying these biases is that um, we can design for these biases, um, so basically, you know, if if you're in a restaurant um, and you have um, and you order something, and if your dish comes in a large plate, then you um, you feel like um, you're eating more because it comes in a larger plate, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And if it comes in a smaller plate, then you feel
0: like you like to- less.
1: Yeah, and so all of these, which is irrational. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, but it's predictably rational. And we can use these things to design, for example, diet plans. Um, if you want to eat lesser, then maybe at your place, replace the cutlery and the, the plates and the dishes so that they're smaller plates. Big kinds of
0: small, small solutions. So.
1: Exactly, and so behavioral economics was um, was very interesting for me. Um, and econo- behavioral economics was basically... Um, when they took this classical economics field, um, which, was, uh, which made the assumption that human beings were completely rational and logical and they knew everything about everything, um, and they had like the perfect logical brain, um, that was the classical economics assumption. Um, and it took two psychologists to come in, uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, to come in and say, no, no, this doesn't really work. That's not how we see the world. And so it was these two psychologists who came in and completely changed the world of economics. Um, And then uh, Daniel Kahneman, I think in 2007 or 2004, won the Nobel Prize as as a psychologist in economics. Um, Again, basically um, emphasizing how important humans are and the actual psychology of hum- human beings is two different fields. And that's what, you know, I'm also trying to do to design, bring in the human aspect of uh, communication, of engineering, of technology, and try to see if the kind of things that we are striving for, if it makes sense.
0: Hmm.
1: It really holds up to what we actually want as human beings.
0: So it kind of seems like you want to really understand human nature and why we make the decisions we make who we are as people did that always interest you because it seems like you're very you're very empathetic you know what i mean like you actually care (laughs) i mean you care why we do the stuff we do or you i guess you question yourself and you wonder why you make the decisions you make does is that something that always was important to you why am i I I thinking this way i mean you know
1: yeah i suppose um I think um digging deep into my my own assumptions um has always been in- important to me um there's lots of things that we take for granted and we should because you can't question every single thing you'd never take the next step um and so we need um these heuristics and things that we take for granted we need those things um but I don't know. I think it's, I've always been a cynic, sort of a skeptic. And Mm -hmm. um, if someone says something that I don't agree with, um, that will always interest me a lot more than if someone says something that I do agree with. Um, And I think when you, um, and I have no idea how that happened. Um, And so when you grow up with that, I think you just end up questioning yourself a lot more. Uh, But it also means like, that you have a really shaky base, because I'm not sure about anything. Uh, Yeah, I read this quote by uh, Jim Carrey, um, where he's talking about how he loses himself in the character, right? Mm -hmm. Like when he's doing the wrong four or five months, he's someone else, which means he has a different set of favorite books, a different political opinion, um, Mm -hmm. and all of these things. And then, once the the movie's done, once he can go back to Jim Carrey, he realizes that w- what just happened. I was able to convince myself that I was someone else, and who am I coming back to? Wow. And then he he eventually ends up saying, well, "That's the thing that there is no one there, and it's just a matter of what you
0: think in that moment." Um. Wow. <laughs> that's a wild, that's a trippy concept. That's right. a trippy concept. Yeah. To, yeah. to think like the, the frontal lobe, the voice that's in your head, you could listen to another voice in your head and, like, not be schizophrenic or anything like that, but like, you could listen and then take on the values of someone else in your own brain. It's deep, man. That's, that's... <laughs> you can't turn for a loop with that.
1: <laughs> and that's yeah. the thing. I mean, you, you know how um, um, when you're feeling really creative, right? You're a writer. Um, mm-hmm. When you get ideas, there's this thing: shower thoughts, right? For some reason, uh, maybe it's because we feel safe um, when we're in the shower—the sound and the heat and the sweat and the steam and the, the you know, the white noise. Uh, makes us feel safe, makes us drop our filters, and you get these ideas, right? Mm. And and it feels almost like someone just just tapped you on the shoulder and just whispered something, and just left. Yeah. It feels like that, and and you hadn't been thinking about. It. You didn't go to the shower thinking, "I am now going to think about a story idea." Just something. Just who did that? That's not you is it you whose voice is that
0: <laughs> so you that all that makes you question and makes you want to like dig deep into all that and then i guess it's such a broad concept that you have yeah. to narrow it down and that's why you're narrowing it down through design that's it's brilliant man that's 100
1: percent it I, I mean that's a good way of thinking about it i think i mean it's uh Sometimes when you're unsure of uh, many things, you just have to pick one to be really unsure about and then go for that. So I huh. guess at this point, <laughs> I've decided that um, my preferred uncertainty is design.
0: <laughs> I love it, man. That's the rabbit hole you've decided to go down. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's going to lead to many other... You got to choose a rabbit hole, though. How do you think we can get the youth to like find science and math more... Um, interesting. Like I always wanted to go out and teach younger people, uh, you know, kids in grade school concepts like coding and, you know, I always get stuck on ways to make the informational like palatable for children. Um, what do you think is, is like a concept they can, that we can bring to get young people to like think science and math is cool and get them to dive into it on a bigger pace?
1: Hmm. This is actually one of the things that um, um, my friend Ela talks about in the first episode um, of Cognitive Snap, um, where she says she works um, with uh, a whole bunch of scientists during her project, um, chemists mainly. And um, she says that the problem is that scientists are sometimes. the way she puts it is that um, th- there isn't too much incentive for scientists to make big claims. Because um, unlike in the startup environment, um, the industry of science, and it is an industry, um, with the peer, peer-reviewed peer journals and um, the way that scientific work is judged, um, they have to be really careful in the way they present their work. And so they they have to hide it behind disclaimers and caveats and all of these things where they'll they'll say, this may be untrue and I may not know this perfectly and there is just a reasonably high probability and this kind of thing. And what basically that does is it makes it uninteresting for the Mm layperson. And I think what um, science and math and technology need sometimes is... Um, someone who can stand in the middle and make it and make the claim um, that the scientists won't make and be the fool basically Um, and make it palatable as you said and visualize visualizable and tangible Um, and I think designers do this really well Um, and so designers um, again I don't want to There's a lot to be said about me bringing up designers only because I am a designer. Uh, But I guess it makes sense that I speak about my sphere of um, life. Um, Design does this quite well. In her thesis, um, Elie talks about um, when something is um, visualized, um, it's understood. And when something is understood, it's supported. And this is true not just of kids, and this is true of politicians as well. A lot of the times, they're making policy decisions on science that they don't understand. Um, And they need good data visualization. They need um, graphs and stories to tell them the stories of science. Um, And I think um, what um, a lot of really interesting and um, efficient and intellectual people are now doing is focusing on communication. Um, there are people like uh, Brian Green, uh, amazing um, scientist and um, well-recognized in his field of cosmology. Uh, but what he's also doing is he's making science popular. And so I think it's basically science, I guess, a short answer. Um, I think scientists should start focusing on communication and the design of their communication because the the medium is just as important as the message. And
0: they know what make the message it more is. Uh, make it more YouTubey or or break it down into TikToks or something. Like I mean, I'm just saying you got to go where the kids are. That's okay. I um and that's the, yeah. I mean that's that's what I mean Me- by medium. It
1: could be um on which platform if it's on Facebook or Instagram, TikTok, as you said, or if it's um if it's just the tone of voice. You know, um you have podcasts which. Um, speak from authority, and that's nice because they speak from authority. And um if they are um, reasonable and well-intentioned, then that's good because you receive things from top down and that makes you f- feel good about the information. And there are some which approach it uh, as more of a, an open mind, open-ended questioning thing um, where they're just exploring all these different things. And so I think, I don't know. I think it's really hard to make a blanket statement. Uh, mm-hmm. but all I can say is, as Marshall McLuhan said, like 40 years ago, uh, the medium is the message basically the medium, saying it's the message. Yeah. Um, the medium is just as important, if not more important than the message. Um, the way something is communicated is sometimes as important as what you're communicating. Um,
0: I think that's great advice, you know, for scientists to take communication courses and understand how to relay your big concepts. <laughs> excuse me, relay your big concepts in in the ways to where it makes it for the average person to get it. Because it's like I was under, I was like, learned the more I learned about, um, um like climate change, for instance, mm. it was like, um, it was like one little fact I heard in like this big documentary, and it said it would hurt um, beer hops. And I said, instead of just saying that, you know, all these whales are going to die or all these, you know, everybody, you know, the, the earth is going to heat up. I was just going to be like, there's going to be a shortage of beer. And yeah. people would be like, wait, 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 hold on, slow down. Wait, what? Like, if you came from that, then people would say, wait, we, we got to get a hold on this. I, I need my Bud Light. Like, you know, like you have to give it to people to where they understand and where they care. I, I love that. I love that concept. Absolutely. Um, who inspires you? Oh, boy. Um,
1: one of the um, one of the problems with diving really deep into rabbit holes is that you never really end up hero worshipping, where you dig so deep into someone that you find something that you don't agree with, <laughs> mm. and so it's hard to say I like everything about this person, you know. Uh, but right now, um, I'm really inspired by um, this illustrator. Um Roman Muradov, um is based in San Francisco. Um do you use the software Notion to note taking? Mm,
0: no, I do not. Okay, I, I just use the notes.
1: Okay. Which is also good. Uh but he did the illustration work for Notion. Um, and so um I just thought I'd bring it up. Um but he's fantastic and he's also very interesting apart from the art that he does and so he has great thoughts about creativity and um, uh, art and um, he has this book called On Doing Nothing and hmm. it's a great little book. It's it's I don't know how big it is. It's 100 pages uh, but you can see I have like tags and I've been highlighting everything uh, and he basically has been inspiring me to do nothing. And as the book suggests, because Mm -hmm. um, one, because I'm a naturally lazy person. And so that's nice. Um, But his point is that you um, sometimes don't need to be actively doing things um, in order to stumble across a concept that might change your life. Um, And so uh, I think he right now he's inspiring me to uh be more unstructured in the things that I do. Um uh, that's you know someone I, I have no you know personal yeah. idea about. Um, but um my dad is great. Um he is a <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, my dad's cool yeah. <laughs> I love how you said it right. your dad's listening like is he going to mention me right. <laughs> he mentioned <Yeah>. me uh,
1: <laughs> he, he is a machine it's impressive he I mean even in his free time he, he he's always doing something he's always it's amazing I've never seen him do nothing he's either gardening um uh, when he's not working like 12 hours a day uh, and traveling and um, all of these things, he's, um,
0: um, maybe you should let him read that book. He just, I know, doing. right. <laughs> maybe, I don't know if I should bring it up with him. He's straight in the trash. <laughs> it's like yeah. this new generation. Like, this they is be kind so of lazy
1: thing <laughs> <think>. <laughs> Yeah. Look at you millennials justifying yeah. <laughs> doing nothing. With Being good. lazy, you millennials. <laughs> Uh, so yeah Um, but he's been been a a big inspiration um, because you know um, the kind of things that he's gone through um, to be where he is today and to be able to afford to send me to another country to study and um, so that I could sit here in front of my MacBook and talk to you I mean It's a beautiful Um, concept, man.
0: It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Uh, And I hope I can do. Yeah, I I hope I can, you know, make half the change that he was able to make to his life. Um, Yeah, he's come a long way. And uh, because of how far he's come, I I can go further, you know. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Keep pushing.
0: I love it, man. So I have like one last question. How can the people get in touch with you?
1: Get in touch with me? Why would anyone do that? Okay. Um, uh, I have my um, website, Um Jordan will probably do a better job spelling it in the show notes. Um, and Cognitive Snap is my podcast. Um, you can find that on your favorite podcast apps um i'm not on twitter or not really on instagram or anything so these are the two ways to get in touch with me
0: um yeah okay. that's cool um and is there like a piece of information that you want to leave the people with i don't know something that you've learned along your journey um,
1: <laughs> um hey how about this um, um have you heard of brian eno
0: I can't say that I have.
1: He he was this guy who, he was basically like the pioneer of ambient music. Um, Okay. And I just read a quote from him. And since we spoke about mediums and um, different ways of communicating, um, Mm -hmm. I found this quote and maybe it would be interesting. Do you think I could read the quote? Of course. Okay. Hang on. Let me give you a second. Uh, But okay. So this is Brian Eno and he's talking about the beauty of a medium and what makes a medium interesting. Um, He says, whatever you now find weird, ugly, uncomfortable, and nasty about a new medium will surely become its signature. CD distortion, the jitteriness of digital video, the crap sound of 8-bit, all of these will be cherished and emulated as soon as they can be avoided. It's the sound of failure, the sound of things going out of control, of a medium pushing to its limits and breaking apart. The distorted guitar sound is the sound of something too loud for the medium supposed to carry it. The blues singer with the cracked voice is the sound of an emotional cry too powerful for the throat that releases it. The excitement of grainy film, of bleached out black and white, is the excitement of witnessing events too momentous for the medium assigned to record them.
0: Wow.
1: And I think that's beautiful because the beauty of a medium, the true beauty of a medium, lies outside... It's capabilities, you know, almost ironically, what a medium can really do is what the medium cannot do. And I think that's nice because we're all mediums, we're all media. And so whatever capabilities and limitations that we have, I think when something lies outside of our capabilities is when things get really beautiful.
0: The limitations define us in a sense. Yeah. You have to work with what you have. I I think that's a great mantra. That's beautiful, man. And I, I have no words to say. That. that was beautiful. Um, this has been another episode of Offstage with Jordan Baylor. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to Offstage with Jordan Baylor. Now go forth and create.